Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temerit. I hope you're having a good day, and I'm really thankful for you listening. So, this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time, I spoke with Rob Russell Howarth Dunn, better known as the Dermaguru, whose mission is to educate and support as many people as possible on skincare. We spoke about technology in advanced skincare sector, as well as following an interest and passion to grow his successful business today. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is part of the solution to fighting climate change. They are actively campaigning to educate and inspire individuals and families around the world to reduce food waste and landfill. With over one third of all food being produced globally never being eaten, and the value of this wasted food being worth over $1 trillion, 1.3 billion tonnes of waste. I'd like to welcome Sasha Celestial One, co-founder of Olio, to my podcast. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Hi, Lou. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I absolutely love your mission to reduce waste to landfill. It's certainly one of my um, passions. When I spent... uh, you know, a number of years working for Honda and kind of putting together a a kind of extracurricular business team to look at supporting the business mission to reduce landfill um, by a certain year. Um, But that actually meant uh, understanding what waste was being disposed of from the office. Um, You know, there was a beautiful restaurant in Delhi. You know, we were going down and buying the team drinks and coffees. And you can imagine just how many cups and plastic lids were being used in the office Um, and every one every individual in the office 800 of us had uh, an individual bin and um, part of that was really understanding how many hundreds of thousands of cups were being thrown away a year so part of the project uh, I was kind of heading up was to reduce the the consumption and the the waste going to landfill kind of putting in a recycling scheme um, and within six months, we'd reduced the amount of landfill um, going from the office space by 60%. And that was just in six months of one intervention of removing those bins and actually uh, empowering everybody to have a culture change and and take, take their waste and kind of segregate it from that perspective. But um, I want to kind of understand um, the basis for the Olio app and how how you started. First of all, that's awesome what you managed to achieve at the Honda office. Um, and I, I wish more offices would do that. Coffee cups are um, just, they're everywhere you look. Once you see them on, on bus benches, you know, just litter, they're litter really, um, and something that needs to be solved. Um, so Olio was an idea that came about nearly eight years ago. Um, my One of my best friends, Tessa and I, um, we, sort of had reached that point in our professional careers where we were new moms and we knew that we wanted to do something much more impactful with the sort of skills and experience that we possessed. And we teamed up and started looking for an environmental challenge that we could tackle because that's what we've always been passionate about, what's united us um, in terms of a common interest. Um, and we we did a three-month study actively looking for for some problem that we could bring a sort of modern technology to make it more efficient and, and, and ultimately, you know, create a, a solution for which there would be a market. And we came up empty handed. 
Um, and right at the end of that search exercise, we were quite gutted, if I'm honest, um, Tessa told me about an experience she just had moving house. And on moving day, she had some food she wasn't going to be able to eat in time. And she thought because it was non-perishable, she would be able to pack it. But the removal men said, absolutely not. No food in the boxes. And she was wow. horrified because they said, throw it away, which she wasn't going to do. Um, and cut a long story short, she she tried to give it away to someone on the streets um, and she wasn't able to. And she ended up smuggling the food in her packing boxes anyway. And <laughs> that was really the light bulb moment for Olio, because obviously there was someone, you know, within meters of her in her apartment complex on her street who would have been more than happy to take that food and not let it go to waste, but she had no way to, to reach them. Yeah. Um, and we sort of thought to ourselves, like, who's going to, uh, you know, surely there's not that much food going to waste because we don't waste food. And we were really horrified when we did a quick Google search and realized just the scale and monstrosity uh, of food waste, which is a, one of the biggest problems facing humanity today. Yes, I I completely resonate. You know, we we all have food, and um, you know, maybe it, it's kind of thrown away or given to friends. But there's there's so much that we may want to consume, but you know, our kind of spending habits or our uh, the you know the way we operate our households means that we end up throwing things away. And um, you know, I've been using your uh, Olio app um, since the beginning of lockdown, so kind of March April. Uh, 2020 um, and it's been absolutely invaluable to share additional you know food and resources so not mm. just food um, you know food kind of now. recent recently um, you know sharing all sorts of things um, dare I say it unwanted Christmas presents no I yeah. don't have any of those but uh, <laughs> it is, uh, the day after Christmas is our busiest day of the year really that's yeah. amazing so if you um yeah, if you have kind of food or things that you don't want in your household, Olio um, is the app to be using. Um, We're really um, trying to help people as well see the value in one might um, sort of think of as the invisible clutter in your house. Um, and that's sort of, you know, a half a ten of paint for a piece of furniture that you no longer own. But it's still in your cupboard, right? And that might help transform I don't know, some little boy or girl's desk into something magnificent, but it's completely useless sitting there for years and years in your cupboard. And, and I share that example specifically because it's not the kind of thing you can take to a charity shop. It's not the kind yeah. of thing, um, you know, that you should really be putting in the bin because it's a toxic material. But yes. it is certainly the kind of thing that has value and, and would be the, a net benefit to your entire community if we can at scale just really get into the mindset of looking for those items that have value that are going underutilized and and rehome them yes so if anyone's well obviously you are listening um you know have a look around your home uh, and see what sort of items that might be not of value to you right now but of value to somebody else yeah um sasha i kind of want to um come back to um you know, your your kind of co-founding of this business with a friend and the female entrepreneurship side of your tech business. Um, because being being a mum uh, myself, you know, I kind of understand that the challenges, but you've done all of this with a with a friend and you've grown your business to great success. Um, I'd love to hear more about the the story um around around you being a mum and uh, working with friend. 
Yeah, Tessa and I sort of often can be heard saying that our co-founder relationship and friendship is really probably our biggest superpower. Um, and we, from the very beginning, we we knew that we needed to tread carefully um, and make sure we didn't do anything, you know, respect each other and challenge each other and hold each other accountable, but ultimately make sure we didn't cause long-term damage to our friendship. So one of the yeah. first things we did is we sort of went away together for the weekend. We took the book, The Founder's Dilemma, um, which yeah. is an excellent tool for anyone who's an early stage founder and sort of tease up some really key decisions that you need to make at the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey and also discusses how co-founder conflict can be really the, a source of uh, incredible stress and be very distracting to, to a business. So if you can get alignment on these key um, um, sort of components or, uh, I don't know, variables, I guess, of, of, yeah. of the entrepreneurial journey. So that you both have made, say it said upfront, like, do you value equity more or do you value control? Do you value growth? You know, how do you want to go about um, having some sort of tricky and sensitive conversations and get them out of the way? And that was really helpful. And every now and then we refer back to that, to that founding document or contract yeah. that we made together, you know, as a, as a female founded team, on the one side, um, I think it has its benefits in terms of attracting talent, especially women who really want to work for a strong female founded team. Um, it has its benefits in getting cut through in the press. Like we've been called sort of two moms on a mission, you know, more times yeah. than count. Um, and um, every International Women's Day, we get touted out and about by all of um, um, sort of the big you know, Apple and Google and everyone else who wants to showcase that we're part of the their tech universe. Um, but the facts with regard to fundraising really speak for themselves. Um, female founded teams get less than 1% of available venture capital investment every year in the UK. Yeah. And it's not much better if you're a female and you have a male co-founder. I think it's about 11%. The rest oh, goes no. to male only founded teams. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, biased or, you know, uh, intentional or not, I'm sure mostly it's unintentional, um, you know, the, those individuals with check writing capabilities at VCs and other places, um, you know, family offices, et cetera, you know, currently tend to be stacked with men who tend to more, more or less relate to, especially when it comes to consumer solutions like Olio, you know, relate to problems that are solved, that are more relevant for, for their gender. Yeah. And, and, and Olio itself is actually very much skewed towards, towards women. So three-fourths of our users are women, and the vast majority of people, as one may or may not you know, sort of expect, who are thinking about the household food and, and clothing and toy and book and stuff budget yeah. and inventory tend to be women these still. So it, it's been, it's been um, I think, a mixed ride. We have been incredibly fortunate to be one of those female-founded teams who has been successful and secured multiple rounds of fundraising. So I yeah. can't really complain, but it hasn't been easy. <laughs> No, I can imagine, you know, uh, being a kind of female mum entrepreneur kind of working on my own, you know, I'm more and more having conversations with individual entrepreneurs and kind of sharing the struggles and going, how much easier would it be if we were not necessarily working with a, a co-founder, but having a, a kind of support network that, um, you know, supports individuals. But, you know, certainly the the 
the evidence that you're suggesting, you know, 1% of investment going to female founded companies, that's just horrific. Um, in the in the structure of today's society, when, you know, we've got so much to offer, we do offer so much. I mean, I think one of the things that made it all possible was we set up Olio from the beginning to fit around the fact that we wanted to to have it all. We wanted to be full-time entrepreneurs yeah. and not necessarily full-time moms, but we wanted to do pickup and drop off and yeah. be there for those sort of milestone moments, but also the day-to-day, you know, packed lunches and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Polio has been remote from, from day one back in 2015 when we set up long before it was a necessity due to the pandemic. And that has really helped us to attract team members who also, for whatever reason, whether they're parents or they just have a dog they love to walk at lunch or they're whatever, you know, they live in the country, want to have that flexibility to work from from wherever, but not in an mm-hmm. office. Um, yes. And that's really given us, you know, I think that just, I, I, if I had to show up in an office every day, especially when my son was young and sort of start a company, I think that might've just been, you know, does not compute territory. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really glad that we we sort of set things up on our own terms. And in the beginning, we had investors asking us all the time, "Well, where's your office? Where's your office?" And we were like, "Good news is we didn't waste your money on an office we never go to." Yes. <laughs> They'll sort of look at us a bit like, mm, "This isn't normal. Um, are yeah. you sure you don't want an office? How are you going to get anything done?" That's incredible. I mean, you know, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the time that we all had, um, you know, during lockdown and pandemic to work from home and change the, the, you know, the understanding that, you know, individuals, whether they're parents or not, can work from home yep. even more efficiently and effectively. You know, as mums, we know that we're um, working more hours than office hours um, yeah. because our minds are always on it. Uh, you know, always thinking about what's next. Um, and I think, you know, we have that wonderful capability. Um, and, uh, you know, today, you know, you've got over 6 million users worldwide on your app, which is just incredible, all from a basis of an organisation that doesn't have an office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think is is outstanding. I'm certainly looking at your your business model and uh, yeah, taking notes. Um, I love using the Olio app, and this is not an advert for the Olio app, but I also want to talk about gamification. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of explain a bit around that, because you know we we've all been through different scenarios, whether it's um, being rewarded with gold stars at school or you know having that half a stone weight loss and getting a a sparkly sticker and a certificate at slimming world or whatever else um that actually it kind of how it empowers and makes us feel great from the inside um now i know um olio i've just achieved my violet status uh, with my karma points um on olio um but Talk to us a bit more about the gamification that you've used within the Olio app. Yeah, it's, gamification is interesting because it absolutely does work for about two thirds of the people. And then um, and, and for those two thirds, it's very motivating. And I'm one of those people. So I'm on rainbow status, which um, is the elite top status. Um, but I, I aspire to be there. <laughs> I, I am fully employed by the company, so it's only fair. Um and, and so we have a few, we have badges, which are sort of discrete actions that you can either, um, you can 
either you get through just behaving like your weekend badge is the first time you share, let's say on a Saturday or, um, you know, there's a whole, there's 30 or 40 or 50 different badges that you can claim. Um, actually what we end up doing with badges in the long run is a bit TBC because they are a bit controversial. Um, I love them, but some people feel that they're a bit childish, but what has worked for almost everyone is the idea of levels, um, which will be familiar to anyone who's spent time in a, a digital mobile environment where you can take certain beha behaviors and you get a certain number of points. And once you accumulate a certain number of points, you get promoted to the next level. And of course we can, um, try and nudge you when you're close to the next level and maybe you've you know not come back to the app in a while to come back and don't lose you know make sure that you take that action soon and then uh, streaks are another um, gamification mechanism that are very powerful for a lot of people if anyone out of your listeners does their wordle i'm quite sort of protective yep. of my wordle streak and when i miss a day and it resets you know I, that that's back to the drawing board um, so they're really just best practice, I think, um, in terms of um, engaging users who might have otherwise lapsed or, lapsed or had their attention diverted to another app. Because um, we all are facing, you know, notifications, interventions, gamification from dozens and dozens of sources. So the, the, the trick is to try and do it in a way where it's not irritating, uh, results in the desired behavior. Um, and, um, if you can figure that out and it's definitely an art, not a science, it is highly effective and essentially cost-free way because you're just sending someone a message, um, to, to get them to, to continue to use your service. Um, our number one, most, um, sort of the most highly opened email that we do is called the impact email, which we send each month to people. Um, you know, it has a really high open rate and it basically summarizes, what the activity that they did last month, but it turns it into the environmental and social equivalents. So how much water did you save? How many meals did you feed people, et cetera? And people really respond to that. And that's because they're really proud um, of, the, of, of, of the actions they took and then seeing how it has discreetly benefited other people or, or the environment. So I think thinking about behavior change just a bit more broadly beyond gamification the more you can like reward people and thank them for the, what they've already done, but then remind them that beyond the personal motivation and uh, uh, of doing something, the, the impact it's having on others, people also respond to that as well. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Sasha Celestial One, co-founder of Olio, the number one free sharing app. So I kind of want to uh, follow on with the behavior change because um, that's ultimately, um, you know, what we're all striving for in, in business or in life to actually educate and inform and kind of build some excitement around making a change for the positive. Mm. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about the gamification, but, um, you know, the behaviour change of society in general. You know, you, you spoke about the, um, you know, amount of water being saved. You know, to date, you, you've had nearly, you know, 58 million portions of food have been shared worldwide, 6 million users and 8.6 billion litres of water have been saved since your app has been running. You know, there's still such an amount of work to do Absolutely. in terms of behaviour change. Um, so I kind of want to, you know, focus on that a yeah. bit and ask you, you know, what's next? What more can we be doing? Because often these behaviour changes are, are so small um, that have, you know, a, a kind of big impact. 
Yeah, it's um, it's the thing that keeps me up at night and has done for many years because, unfortunately, it's it's really one of the most difficult things you can do to get sort of wide scale mainstream consumer behavior change and a, a, adaptation of of a of, of a new behavior. Um, and you know, there's the whole sort of model of crossing the chasm and how you sort of move along that. And we're sort of at that point now where we've got lots of early adopters, of which you're one. Um, who, who love us and evangelize about us. But in order to cross over into the, to the real early mainstream, um, what we what we need to do is sort of, it's a lot of people and we need to divvy it up into segments and we need to find the segment that we're going to work at. Because if we just try and talk to everyone with the exact same message, whether you're a student, you're a parent, you're retired, we're not going to get cut through. So we have done a lot of research. We've identified the segment that we're going into that is a, a small enough but sizable enough segment um, that we think is receptive to our message. These are our target adders. These are people who we believe will give things away. Um, and we need people to give things away because we're a supply-constrained marketplace. Everything on Oleo that's listed more or less goes, 82 yeah. 85%. Um, you know, half of all food is requested in under 20 minutes. It's, it's a pretty miraculous, very liquid marketplace. And ironically, yeah. the challenge is getting people to give stuff away that they don't want. Yeah. Um, and so that target adder um, is really we're talking about moms with moms. I was going to say moms with kids by definition, sort of moms. Um, and and we need to find the um, the advocates within that segment who will then start to tell all of their friends because really what we need to do is for everyone within this segment to be sharing on their class WhatsApp groups and their local Facebook. Um, mums pages, you know, and all the other places at the school gates where they're talking to other mums. And in that way, that's how you get to a tipping point where enough people are seeing enough other people that they see on a regular basis doing a particular behavior that it then flips from like, oh, that's weird to like, oh, wait, everyone I know is using Oleo to get yeah. rid of last year's school uniform. And it just, and that's, it's, it's, it's just about getting to that sort of penetration and scale within a segment. We're yeah. a long ways away from that, um, but that's our plan <laughs> this year. Obviously, we have to do that in a budget-constrained environment. Um, but the, it isn't about telling people how many liters of water they're going to save. And it, 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 it's about making it seem normal. You're right. The behavior change has to become a normalized form in terms of, you know, uh, making making things more positive um and it's a kind of selling it in rather than going you have to do this yeah um, but it but it you know when you give things away you know this well I mean you of course you know this you know when you give things away you know people are so grateful I had three people come to my door for um you know things I'd posted and listed on the app yesterday but they were so grateful to receive and I think you know that's one of the intrinsic things that you know behavior changes is not about stuff or things it's about that feeling yes um, uh, and it's just good. it's that essence of actually I'm doing something good but I can see that person in my community um feeling grateful you know it's a you know half bottle of hand hand cream that um I liked but never used we're you know, very hardwired you know. as humans um to get that hit that feel good hit when we give something of value to another human uh, it's one of the reasons our species has survived and conversely, it, we feel physical pain when we throw something of value away. It's no one likes to like 
just yeah. throw away perfectly good food. It's, it goes against all of our evolutionary instincts. Um, mm. I think we've become quite numb to it, but it's not, yeah. it's not pleasant. So we just need to be more pleasant than the Ben, right? Yeah. Um, which is uh, not hard, but it's actually quite hard to beat the convenience yeah. um, of, of, of just throwing something away um, and, and, and no, one, no one's watching you. Um, so yeah, once people try oleo for the first time, uh, that feel good sharing factor is is quite pronounced, and our retention in terms of people coming back um, is is very solid. And that's uh, our biggest challenge is getting people to try it for the first time. And I think yeah. a lot of people feel nervous about potentially having an awkward social exchange, um, or maybe the person being like, "Oh God, you gave me half a bottle of hand lotion. What's wrong with you?" Um, and it's not until you do, until you experience it, the, the gratitude from someone who, for them, that might be yeah. a very luxurious treat, not necessarily because they're, um, you know, really living sort of an impoverished, they're, they're in, in poverty, they might just be on a budget or saving yes. up for something or be a student or there's a million different reasons why someone might want to to rescue a, a bit of someone's spare and keep it for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was astounded to read, you know, the average family throwing away, whilst it doesn't seem a lot, £730 of um, food waste each year. You know, that's £15 billion worth of food going to landfill. That's just ridiculous. I mean, these are kind of telephone number figures, you know, too big to even comprehend. But yeah. in, in your in kind of family unit... You know how many how many weekly shops i mean maybe it might you know <laughs> at least a monthly shop um, yeah. you could easily spend that kind of budget but um for the, for the average household it's one fourth of their weekly shop um wow. 25 percent um which is the same as going to the grocery store and sort of getting four carrier bags and just leaving one in the parking lot right wow. and it, it 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 doesn't seem like a lot sometimes when you say 730 pounds but for many families that a holiday yes um, you know. I kind of want to bring it back to community because one of the benefits um of the Olio app is that you you know maybe or maybe not get to know your neighbors and community um but you know I grew I grew up in a um in a city and I we knew you know our family knew lots of other families in the area and it was very much a community focus now as the years have kind of gone on and the generations we've become even more detached from other individuals um and you know I'm really heartened to to kind of see that the the Olio app you know is using technology to bring communities back together um how important is the community aspect for your business um, it's incredibly important and much more important than we ever anticipated. Um, it was sort of a happy accident or happy side effect. Um, we survey our users regularly. We've learned that I, I think 40% we, when we did it quite recently said they'd actually made a, someone they would call a friend. Um, they met through Olio. We've had a few like marriages um, and kids as well over the years. And we know that two out of three people say Olio's helped, um, them with their mental health and people who might be suffering from social isolation and loneliness. I think one in five people in the UK say that they are always or almost always chronically lonely. So we yeah. aren't just facing a climate crisis. We are facing um, a loneliness um, crisis as well as people have become much more disconnected from each other and spend a lot mm. more time in their digital lives as opposed to their physical lives. Um, so it's the, just the basic 
premise of like having a conversation and a quick conversation, arranging pickup, and then saying hello and thank you to another human um, is is incredibly satisfying. It makes you feel more connected and rooted. Um, yeah. That said, I'd like to reassure anyone out there who might be feeling sort of a bit apprehensive about that level of social contact um, that you know, I, I personally often, just because I'm busy, I have a safe space outside and I, I tend to message and love the pleases and thank yous, but I don't always have time for the doorstep handover. And so I'll hide things outside. But even just that messaging with someone who says to me, oh my goodness, you know, thanks for the, you know, for the rubber balls, you know, my dog is going to love them. Um, yeah. And just knowing where the things are going and having that, um, that little story, um, yeah. it is very it does make you feel more connected yeah uh, which i think um there's not that many apps that bring you together sort of in real life beyond dating apps which yeah do, do quite a lot of that i've heard sorry personal experience yes <laughs> let's not talk about dating apps yeah. um I, I yeah I mean... my partner of over five years was my first and only right swipe on tinder wow yeah he was Congrats on tinder for five years and and he met the one so yeah. <laughs> that's that's fantastic a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I, I love what you say about being able to you know if you if you don't want that that contact in that moment you know during lockdown you know you could leave things outside your front door and know that someone was coming to pick them up yeah. so you know it offers you know all sorts of levels of interaction on your boundaries which yeah. is really really nice you know it feels like a very much user user generated user led yeah. um app um and, and there are rewards you know digital rewards and kind of humanistic awards which you know is great uh, and ultimately working towards you know kind of benefiting climate change and, and improving um the impact that we're we're making it's January and there uh, you've launched your declutter um, campaign. Um, yeah. So you put into a prize draw if you list five different items um, on the Olio app. Um, I achieved that this morning, uh, which I'm very proud. Um, you know, I, I think there's kind of, you know, a bigger prize draw for 30. Um, so I'll be scouring the children's bedrooms and, and everywhere to see what uh, can be shared and, and the cupboards, because um, that's always a good time. You know, we're spring cleaning, so uh, it, it's a good time to look through all those cupboards and things. Um, but, um, you know, one of the other campaigns is about focusing on businesses as well yeah. and uh, supporting businesses to reduce food waste within their own business. Um, and I kind of want to to come to that and and how you're interacting um, with businesses to yeah. uh, get involved with yours. So the vast majority of surplus food um, waste takes place in the home, well over 50 percent, up to 70 percent by some estimates. Most people think of supermarket waste or restaurant waste as the the, the biggest culprit, but that's actually dwarfed in comparison to household waste. That said. Yeah. The scale of waste at the retail level is monstrous. And yeah. we quickly discovered that, that, that there's an opportunity here for us to provide a solution um, to businesses. Um, and that is how we've monetized. Um, and, and we earn revenue from recruiting um, members of the community, um, training them to 
um, and then training them up with regard to food safety and then matching them with a business that has unsold surplus at the end of the day. We call those volunteers food waste heroes. We have over um, 75,000 registered food waste heroes. And then we match them with collection opportunities. And that could be Tesco, Holloway Road, 8 p.m. Tuesday. And yeah. that volunteer claims that collection opportunity, um, shows up at the designated time and place, and then takes all the food that couldn't be sold, couldn't be donated to charity, and needs to be eaten before midnight, more or less. Yeah. Take that straight home and they add it on the app. And within sort of minutes, quite literally, their neighbors request what they want. They divvy it up and then, you know, five, six, seven, eight bundles. People pop around, they pick up their bundle. They say, you do have to say hello in this instance, um, <laughs> pick up their bundle and then they take it home. And an average collection, um, you know, at a Tesco can be anywhere from 10 to 200 items. Yeah. Um, and that's all food that would have been thrown away today because it's a used by today. It's food that needs to be eaten today. And we um, do about 25,000 collections a week. So it's wow. this is where the millions and millions of meals are coming from. Yeah. Um, but we also work with most of the contract caterers um, in the UK and also in Mexico, Argentina, Ireland, you know, lots of different markets. And those are the caterers that are servicing offices. So any one of your listeners who works in an office that has a corporate canteen or even just sort of a shop at the ground floor lobby, every single one of those will have surplus food. And I guarantee that it's not getting eaten. And yeah. if, if all you got to do is just say, hey, can I talk to the catering manager? Let them know about Oleo and they can get put in touch and we can send a volunteer to make sure that food is redistributed to the local community, um, which is really, I think, the premise of everything we're trying to do, which is, you know, good edible food or yeah. anything that has value, anything that is one of our the precious, most precious resources that takes up the earth's, you know, scarce resources. We, we just want to make sure that value is fully realized. I have goosebumps when you kind of talk about, you know, kind of climate change and saving, you know, food that's much needed and kind of wanted. Um, you know, it feels like such a good cause. Um, it's really, really important. It's easy to dismiss mm -hmm. food as something that's organic and not sort of net um, pollute, polluting to the environment. Um, but for a whole variety of reasons that are probably too complicated to explain right here, but we've got lots of information on our website. Um, the, the sad truth is that food waste itself accounts for 10% of global carbon emissions. Wow. It is the number one. It has been identified by Project Drawdown, which is a coalition of 170 of the world's top climate scientists um, as the number one most impactful thing we could do to address to mitigate the effects of the climate crisis. Um, it's just it's the stupidest problem because we also have nearly a billion people who are hungry and they're not yes. all in the third world. There's over 10 million people living in food poverty here in the UK and we yeah. have we could feed every hungry person on the planet on less than a fourth of the food we waste in the US and Europe. So this mm -hmm. is a market inefficiency problem. And like it or not, we are all part of this problem, whether it's in our homes or in our offices, our schools, our churches, our gyms, there's just surplus for the, our event, the events we attend. Yes. Um, and once you sort of become wisened to it, you'll see it everywhere. And you'll just yeah. be thinking, oh, my gosh, there's 14 croissants at the end of this breakfast meeting. They're left over. What's going to happen to them? Like, oleo it. So yeah. obviously our ambition is huge, but the opportunity for impact is, is, is what keeps us going every day. And the stories from everyday people who, you know, either are grateful to receive or to give away something 
because that that that's a human connection that's, yes. um, that we all crave yeah absolutely i mean i love the fact that you've landed on such a, a massive opportunity you know when you kind of look at the the whole market the impact you know it hits every aspect um as well as your kind of ethics and you know processes within your organization um uh you know working working remotely it's a, it's lovely to work on a problem that's so big that you know yeah. if we achieve it that we'll have like changed yeah really changed the world for better quote unquote yeah um, but i'll you know uh it's it can be incredibly discouraging with the pace of of, of change as well because we know we're just yeah. so far away you know yeah. from where we need to get to yeah. um but tessa and i both like to try and remind ourselves that it took billions or trillions of thoughtless actions yes uh to sort of get ourselves into the mess it wasn't just one paper cup right yeah it wasn't just one sort of leftover dinner to put in the you know in the bin yeah. it was more than we can even count and yes. and but that by the same logic means that it will take billions of just slightly mindful thoughtful actions to crawl our way out of it and it that feels it feels overwhelming but you know, it's the exact same logic that got us into that. So I find that quite reassuring. It's just going to be a little bit of faith that lots of small actions can lead to yeah. massive transformational change. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you, we, we've covered, you know, so many aspects and I'm, you know, pleased we've talked about kind of climate crisis. We've talked about gamification. We've talked about remote working. We've talked about, you know, being a mum and still wanting to work and, mm -hmm. and kind of dedicate our lives, um, you know, to for the better of the business world as well as you know being mums um, you know we, we all kind of want to want to have that impact um and drive you know there's so much I'm feeling so much excitement for for your project you know and being able to um you know focus on your segment which is mums you know waiting outside school and in the playground and just sharing that you know like you say it takes one person to go, oh, okay, this is this is what I've done, and here's how it helped me, or how it made me feel. Yeah. Um, uh, and then just going, you know, it become a normalised concept. So, Sasha, what's next for Olio? I know you're focusing on the the segment uh, this year, but what what else is next for Olio? Um. Well, we continue to expand sort of what you can do in the app, and we will continue. So, we have added in a section where you can borrow um everyday household items um so people borrow my disco lights and my mattress um my air mattress and all kinds of things for me um board games etc and and we have a wanted section where you can request items but in terms of what what's next to answer your question is we will introduce more categories whether it's renting or you know there's all different kinds of ideas that we have um to just make the app more useful for more use more often yeah. um and it's a good question um what's next i mean it's really just about scaling right so yeah. we've recently grown the team we've sort of doubled the team in the last year and we're, we're at the end of a period of sort of transition and leveling up and this year is all about taking the talents and the tools that we've acquired over the last year and just hitting the ground running to try and scale yeah and and for you being part of that um you know what what's next for you as an individual my job now is a little bit to get out of the way i've been so hands-on 
um, and just been really close to every aspect of the business. And as uncomfortable as it feels, my my baby is now a teenager um, and they they need some space. So <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to sort of revamp my role. And a lot of that means spending more time doing podcasts, speaking at events, um, being more externally focused um, and, 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 and I sort of having my head sort of above my, my, my view above the horizon, looking for the bigger picture things that might be coming next, um, partnerships, et cetera. Um, and how can people um, get hold of the app uh, or contact you uh, or contact Olio if they are obviously not you because you're wanting to kind of take a bit of a break? <laughs> Um, you know, O-L-I-O um, uh, in the App Store, Google Play, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, myself um, and my contact details, as, as well as pretty much everyone on the team, um, we're all very public and accessible and happy, as always, to talk to early stage founders or mid-stage founders. Um, I always enjoy doing that, too. So feel free to reach out and please download the app and have a declutter. Absolutely. Um, Sasha, it's been absolute joy speaking with you uh, and a privilege to, you know, hear the fantastic work and, and just your thoughts on on the whole kind of, uh, you know, the, the tech world as far as your app and, uh, you know, growth as a as a female entrepreneur. So um, and a mother. Let's not forget that. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lou. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>